An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high ranking officer in the Secret Service. An assassin comes to town, a six part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Western swamps near Belchester, known as the Peel Mire, were your home for most of your life. Far too often are swamps associated with death. But this realm to you is pure life. Every inch of tree and stone is encased in soft, cool layers of moss. The air is teeming with swarms of tiny humming insects. Every branch, tree, and vine has a chance of being a living creature. The water is thick and cool teeming with countless tiny life forms. Many times on quiet days, you could hear the beautiful bells from atop the distant hills echo out over the glade. A distant connection to the locals. It's beautiful. It's home. Or it was your home until the villages decided together that it was time for you to leave your family home and you were cast out. You had to run. You had to swim. They were out for blood. Now, as you've moved days to the east without rest, mind and body awash in conflict and panic, you enter a new kind of swamp, the Gomoden Glade. You ventured to the borderlands many times when you were younger, but now you must enter. This place shows you why swamps to some mean death. This is a place where sun is a distant memory. This is a battlefield where nature went to war against itself and won. This is foreign to you. This is where the predators live. You're not sure if you're one of them, or just another piece of lost prey. And you haven't heard the voice since the night you left. Was it real? Was it a dream? You hear the sound of water moving, the flapping of distant wings, the cracking of branches. What do you do? The sound of water moving, is that like a an object moving in the water near me, or is it just like I hear running water? The water here is completely still and unrunning. Okay. It must be something agitating the surface. How far away from me does it sound like it is? Roll me a perception check. Okay. That's not bad. Hey, hey, hey. Very good. So with that 19, you become aware that maybe 20, 30 feet from you, some of the logs in the distance might not be logs. You also notice a dark shape that seems to move in the overhanging branches, not climbing, but flying, just above the tree line, almost like it's circling, hunting for something. In a place like this, the insects that cling to you are hungry. They're desperate and violent. Back home, there were just as many insects, but they simply landed on you to rest. These ones are out for blood, but they can't seem to penetrate your thick hide, perfectly tailored to survive in such an environment. You move cautiously to avoid the sloshing sounds, knowing what kinds of creatures blend in with the surface of this kind of water. How do you proceed? 
I'll probably hold still for a little while and see if that thing that's circling ahead moves on or if the thing that was making noise in the water sort of moves on. And then I'll try and it's hard to say if I'd want to swim or if I'd want to walk. I'm probably more graceful in the water. Mm, Probably more stealthy as well. Yeah, that's what I would. I, I think I would probably swim. Okay. So you pause for a moment to get awareness of your surroundings. See if these are incoming threats or simply passing by. There are dozens of very thick, heavy, willow-like vines that hang down from overhead, obscuring your vision of what's above you. You can almost still hear its wings flapping, but it doesn't seem to be nearby. As for the sound in the water, you're looking cautiously, moving almost not at all, waiting for something to happen. Tuning into where the sound came from, you see a log roll over, and it lashes out at you. As a giant anaconda-sized serpent begins to strike, but before it reaches you, it gets tangled in many of the overhanging vines. They loop around it like a noose around its neck and immediately pull it up into the darkness of the tree line. Then you're alone with the buzzing insects and the distant flapping of wings. Like the vines animated, grabbed the snake and pulled it into the sky? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's not disconcerting. I will make a note that the vines are arguably more dangerous than the wildlife. Well, they certainly won that fight. And yeah, and I will go ahead and attempt to avoid those. So the water seems great, I think, unless there's vines in the water. Nope, the vines hang lasciviously close to the water, just barely brushing its surface, but they don't seem to go any deeper. Yeah, water it is. Great. Uh, You submerge yourself, and it's not the same kind of cool, comforting water that you have back home with like a distant warmth. This is just thick. The cold clings to you. And there are random pockets of very clean water hidden beneath these pools of mud. It's almost disorienting, like driving through tunnels and then into sunlight, trying to move through this thick, viscous liquid into this clean, cold liquid. A couple of times you brush against a very long, slimy surface, and it kicks out with incredible muscles but doesn't seem to strike you. Probably some massive aquatic catfish trolling for food along the bottom of the murk. And you proceed on. Go ahead and roll me a stealth check and a survival check to see how well you progress into the Gomo Den. Stealth first. Oh, no. It's a natural one on stealth. Survival is a 19. So, (laughs) excellent. You do a very good job of avoiding drawing the ire of any of these large fish in the water. You think some of them might be big enough to just snap you up. And you don't presume that they're picky about what goes in their mouth. You avoid them very well. You start to lose track of your breath, though, getting stuck occasionally in a much thicker patch of mud than you anticipated. You have been traveling for almost an hour now. Time seems to move slower when you're below the surface. You emerge quickly to gasp in panic to get air in your lungs, and it echoes out over the glade. And you see the terrain has changed a bit from the viney region you were in before. You see large, shaped, and eroded cobblestones covered with moss and vines, many of them tipped over. Perhaps some long time ago there was an ancient structure here that is sunken deep into the swamp. Now simply the tips of its crown poke out from the murk. Go ahead and roll me another perception check. Okay. Excellent. I'm rolling really well on wisdom skills today. 20 total, not natural. With that, as you emerge, take in your surroundings... You realize places where you can stand, places where the water continues. Make sure there's no nearby threats. You are not caught off guard. 
as those flapping wings get louder, and a dark shape tears through the canopy and lands on a nearby cobblestone sticking upward, and you see a quadrupedal beast with long, dark talons that sink into the top of it, and big, flapping, black raven wings that adjust as it repositions itself on the stone. And it has the head of a corvid, but instead of a beak split down the middle, it's split down twice, almost forming a grabbing claw on the front of it. Large red eyes. Some sort of raven hippogriff monster. It seems old with graying feathers, but no less hungry. It lets out a shrieking roar. (coughs) Roll me initiative. All right. Yeah, that seems fair. Ooh, that's a four plus one for five. All right. Let me roll for this beastie. As a flying creature, I assume it's going to do better than five. You never know. It does. There aren't a lot of clunky flyers in the world. I'm not fighting a giant bumblebee. All right. So this strange raveny hippogriff soars down and lands on top of this chunk of cobblestone looks like perhaps some time ago part of a gate or an entrance leading to a broken down staircase. And it roars as it sniffs the air and seems to be aware of your general position. But it almost moves like it's blind. Okay. So on its turn, it's simply going to focus in, do a perception check of the area, and start hovering. Okay. We got a 16 perception check, which is higher than your stealth. Yeah, my stealth roll of two. So it lands here and begins cautiously pawing towards you, leaping across this gap and just landing on the very edge. All right. It's long, feathery tail just barely cresting the water. With the... What did I roll on my survival? Was it 20? No, it was perception. Mm-hmm. was 20. Survival was 22? Correct. Can I tell, based on the way that it's moving, if it... You said that it, it almost seemed like it might be blind. Is it moving like a blind creature that knows this area really, really well? Or did it see that gap and it, it picked where it was landing? You're guessing, based on the way it's moving and hunting, that it's a creature that is born with good vision and has very keen senses, but perhaps in its older age, its vision is failing it. Okay. Is it my turn? It moved and it's done for now? It is your turn. Okay. The building that had the staircase that it was on earlier, does it look like that staircase continues downwards, or is it like collapsed from from where I'm at? The fact that there's a staircase at all is the only indication of a building there. Okay. Um, you are allowed a free perception check to gain any other hints about the surroundings, sure. though. I, I will make a free perception check to gain hints about the surroundings. Okay, 15 isn't bad. No, that's pretty good. Especially in your kind of fight-or-flight panic mode, awareness comes naturally to you. Um, the water around you seems fairly shallow as far as the th- stuff to your north and south. That's why these structures kind of stick up out of it. They're not actually submerged that deep. But the central water pool uh, seems to be very deep. And you know the kind of liquid in a swamp that hides many caves and possibly hidden passages. Especially the fact that there used to be a structure here. You're guessing it might be the safest place to go into the water to avoid this thing or stand and fight it here in its weakened condition. Okay. Um, Deep water, though, can also... Deep water with lots of like cave-like pockets can also be where uh, other aquatic predators like to hang out. Very much so. I don't know that I want to move on from raven hippogriff to you know giant aquatic swamp moray eel. That, right. That may not that may not be an improvement on my situation here. No, um, and you're already 
pretty tired and hungry, and this place just seems to be one thing after another. Uh, you said I'd, I'd been awake for like a couple days. Do I have any levels of exhaustion that I need to worry about or? Not yet. Okay. All right. That's you feel like you're on the verge. The moment you stop moving, you're certain they would set in. Okay. All right. Do I see any in my scouting about, do I see any more of those vines that snatch that snake up into the air? Can I try and lure this thing into a plant that's going to eat it or? No, there are far fewer trees in this area than there were in the one you were from. It's actually pretty wide open, which uh, you're guessing makes it primo hunting territory for this dive bombing creature. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think I'll be able to like throw a rock or something and distract it. I mean, I might try that. Yeah, you could definitely do a deception check to try yeah. to mislead it. I'll um I'll try and and skip a rock across the surface of the water and make it sound like I'm running and I'll okay. hold, I'll hold real still while the rock skips across and see if I can mislead it. Sure. Uh so let's get a deception versus perception. No. <laughs> Roll 20 strikes again. You were rolling very good mostly earlier. I w- I've been <laughs> I've been rolling very good on certain things, and then on the things you really don't want to roll really badly on, that's always the stuff I roll badly on in roll twenty. Sure. Well, I, I promise rolling bad on that survival check might have been not fun either. Yeah, I can I can see everything as it kills me because I can't defend myself. <laughs> Right. You do, in fact, find a pretty large palm-sized stone and skip it out into the murky mire. It sticks after a bit, and this creature erects its head, and its neck feathers stick out briefly as it snaps at the air, and it looks down, and what vision it has left, you're certain, are now locked on you. Okay. All right. We can call that a move action if you want. Okay. Or an action, depending on what you want to If I think for my for my actual action, I'll just take the dodge action and get ready with my quarterstaff because this thing looks like it's coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you take a defensive position and prepare yourself for this hunting avian terror to strike. And on its turn, it will in fact move forward and snap at you. Mm-hmm. And we'll just call it the Graven for now. Yep, I had a feeling it might. It definitely has a walking speed to get to there. Um, it's going to make a beak attack at you, looking at a 17. Okay. Plus, plus numbers. Yep. And bite damage. 17 plus numbers hits unarmored Harithax. Yeah. So you're going to take six slashing damage as these four sharp beaks close down on you together. Yikes. Takes a little chunk of you with it that it lifts its head and snaps at, gulping down in one bite. And that is its whole turn. Okay. Um, uh, Did it roll with disadvantage? Did not. Okay. I did take the dodge action. Oh, you did. Thank you for reminding me. I was like, no, it's not that kind of blind. Uh, so instead, we're looking at a 13. Yeah, 13 still hits me. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. That's fine. Rolls a 7 still hits me anyway. That's great. Boy, howdy. I don't think I can stand toe-to-toe with this thing. Um, that was more than half my health gone in one attack, and 17-plus numbers would hit uh, current level eight current harathax yeah it would, it would hit current level eight harathax um you're guessing that this thing pretty much rules the sky of the swamp here yeah like old and worthy foe um yeah no i definitely i definitely can't stand toe-to-toe with this thing um so harathax needs to get out of here i'm going to take the disengage action then mm-hmm. and is it is it big enough, or is it in the air or on the ground in front of me, actually? It is pawing towards you. It has landed. Okay. Then, yeah, I'm going to disengage, and I'm going to try and run past it towards that deep water. Okay. 
So I will move 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. I'm going to dip down in the water, mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to swim. I'm going to head for that deeper water. Of course. So as you're moving away and disengaging as carefully as you can, go ahead and roll me another stealth check. Okay. Um, before I make my stealth check, mm -hmm. can I take a bonus action? Yeah, please. Okay. I think in my fight or flight situation here, um, this thing's going to kill me, and I need everything I can to get away from it. So I would like to, if, if I can yet, I'd mm -hmm. like to cast Hex on this creature. Okay, certainly, yeah. What does that look like? Um, so as this thing bites me and I stagger backwards, having lost 60% of my hit points in that one strike, the blood dripping on the ground sort of pools and lets out this black smoky miasma that then all of a sudden just like clings around this thing's face as, as Harithax, you know, incants a spell without even realizing what they're really doing, feeding off of their pain and their fear to cast mm -hmm. this magic. Excellent. Yeah. And this is the first time you've managed to manifest something like this. Your animal brain awakens. Yeah. And your awareness of the presence of this creature increases. And some part of your survival instinct seems to be emitting from you and weakening it. Yeah. And I would like to use my hex to give it disadvantage on wisdom-based ability checks. Perfect. Like perception. Excellent. I like that very much. And then I would like to roll my stealth check. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Okay. Very good. Not a two. I like not a two. Oh, that's a great roll. A 17 plus one for 18. If anyone ever complains about a 17, they are doing it wrong. Right. All right. That makes it the Graven's turn. It's going to roll its perception check at disadvantage to figure out where you went. As it seems to be looking and sniffing around, this black miasma from this burning blood is causing it to wheeze and shriek out. So you're looking at a 13, which does not beat your 18. So for nope. the time being, it's pacing back and forth like an agitated feline, trying to figure out where its prey went, sniffing and snapping at the waterline. Okay. And then back to my turn? It is. Okay. I still don't like my chances against this thing in combat. It only has to hit me one more time and I'm and I'm pretty much done for. So I will I will go ahead and try and just quietly or as quietly as I can just flee. Mm -hmm. I will It's not your action to make a stealth check, right? It usually is unless you're a rogue. Oh, that's right. Hide is the action. Right. Right. Okay. You know what? No, I'm just going to dash. I'm going to assume this thing probably isn't super aquatic, and I'm just going to plunge into the depths here. Okay. So I'll move 50 feet. Great. 30 to the sort of middle of the pool, and then I guess 20 straight down, but I'll probably move diagonally. Sure. If you want to calculate the hypotenuse of underwater movement, figure I, out. I want to so badly. How yeah, I know, know, right? Yeah. So real quick, roll me a athletics check to see how well you swim. Ugh, okay. All right. All right. That's not bad. All right. As you begin to submerge deeper and deeper, you feel something hit the surface of the water, and you feel like talons and a beak just kind of brush against your tail as this thing hits the surface and tries to leap to where you were, but can't seem to get any deeper, and you pass out of its reach. And you notice that underneath the ruined staircase... There is 
a fairly clear opening. It's not full of mud and murk. It's water, and it's a tunnel. Okay. The tunnel's extremely dark. It's all underwater, but there's not a lot of vegetation or algae or anything clinging to it. Uh, I've just had the 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 heartbreaking realization that I don't get my Devil's Sight invocation until level two. So Harithax, at this stage of their life, cannot see in the dark. Mm-hmm. And it's frightening. Yeah. Uh, so I will, knowing that there's only death at the surface of this, um, I will hold my breath as I fumble through the darkness, hoping that there's an air pocket that I can get to eventually. Certainly. And as you're entering this tunnel, there seems like something deep inside of you is like trying to awaken. For a moment, your vision goes red. And for just a split second, you can see clearly down here and it fades. You can't manage to hang on to it. You're too focused on holding your breath and swimming as fast as you can. You dive deep. Your tail lashes against the viscous mud and cold water and you enter the dark cave and you swim for your life. You're guided by instinct, seeking a safer place, seeking a path away from here. You can hold your breath for a very long time, but this darkness seems to keep going. Before long, you seem to stop swimming, and suddenly, you're walking, dragging your feet, exhausted. You seem to be in some kind of clearing, where once there was decaying, hanging swamp trees, there are now tall, dark pines. The earth is soft. The dirt between your claws almost holds you in place. And there's no sounds of nature. And you look out to notice in confusion that the moon hanging overhead has been replaced with a silver coin lingering in the ether. The trees part and bend back as a dark silhouette manifests on the edge of your vision. It seems tree-like, cloaked in earth and leaf. Three piercing white eyes seem to reflect the silver moonlight like a feline's. Their head is adorned with huge, wide antlers and horns that encircle their face like a lion's mane. And a soft voice like music reaches out to you. This one seems ready. Come and take my hand, young shadow. I will show you the darkness of the shade. I will teach you the ancient songs of the forest and give you the eyes to see the ley lines of chaos around us. And then there's a blast of heat from behind you. You turn and the forest is swallowed into the earth. A bright red line is drawn to the horizon and a fissure opens like a chasm, bursting with flames and boiling red liquid. The smell of blood overwhelms you and a stairway of bone and quartz folds into existence leading downward and the heat itself seems to call out to you. There is a void within you. Were you to fill it with fire and vengeance, you could become an unstoppable force of my power. And the light grows brighter. The moon above you is expanding. And once again, the true moon, a pale, dead moon. And you look up in fear as it seems to be getting larger, but not growing, getting closer. The night sky around it seems darker than it should be. The stars near it seem different. You realize it's a shape. Something living, vastly larger than the lunar shield it holds in front of it. The darkness around it expands and overhangs overhead, like limbs with infinite joints. A spider web of living tendrils. The stars clinging to it flash and open, and they are eyes, looking upon you, pushing against the celestial barrier. And no single message comes to you. A choir of voices, 
a song of madness, the echoing and ever-changing language of eternity. It burns your mind. These immense powers are surrounding you and moving in. They want something. But you find agency, just enough to reach out. Perhaps to one of them, to protect you from the other two. Which one do you reach for? Well, Harithax isn't super vengeancy. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the the fiery rage one. I didn't understand anything the eyeball one said. Did I? It was just it was just madness, but it was also just power. Madness and power. What was the third option? The first one was a strange beast like a tree adorned with antlers and horns with piercing white eyes. Okay. That was the one that initially greeted me here, right? And led yeah. me inside. It promised you to teach you the songs of the forest and to see the ley lines of chaos. Harithax will sort of shrink back from the eyes and from the fire and hold up their mangled and savaged right arm out to this creature. And as you reach out, you can almost feel a bond forming between the two of you. It's huge, immense black hand emerging from the silhouette of the darkness. But before you make contact, reaching out in this desperation and seeking a new power, there is a roar that splits the night, and a wall of white flesh explodes out of the earth around you, like a serpentine wall of thorns and scales. A bestial white head with rows of razor-sharp teeth like a zipper snaps at the entities around you. Rows of draconic limbs like a centipede connected to the wall of flesh dig into the earth. This one is mine. This one bears the old blood of my children. Begone tricksters, fiends, and servants of chaos. This child is destined to grow, consume, and control. And your lungs fill with air. You don't know how long you've been underwater, swimming as hard as you can, but finally you find the surface. Your brain is on fire from the lack of oxygen. Your body is heavy and caked thick with mud and algae. There's a light burning in the distance, casting shadows among the dead trees. And you smell the smoke of a lingering fire. I need you to roll me a d4, please. Okay. Hey, I rolled a four. I don't know if that's good or bad. I guess we'll find out. You suffer four levels of exhaustion. That's really bad. (laughs) It's not good. Everything you've been through finally catches up with you as you seemingly... Come back to life as your brain awakens again. You can barely lift yourself out of the murk. You feel stationary, your body covered in gashes and wounds from rocks and logs you unconsciously brushed against. But I will give you a perception check to see what's around you. Okay. 20 plus 3. Wait, that's that's only plus 1. That's 8, not 10. Okay, 8. It's actually a 6 because I have disadvantage on the check now from the exhaustion. <laughs> that's, that's true. Just keeps getting worse. Yep. So you are literally just aware of the things immediately adjacent to you. There might be trees in the distance. They might just be shadows. You're pretty sure it's nighttime. Everything is murky and foggy. Your brain's not working normally. You're not sure if you can feel your legs at all. And the panic starts to set in. It's starting to get harder to separate vision from reality. Because what you see next, it shakes you to the core. You thought nearby it was a small tree among many, only eight feet from the mud, with hanging willowy branches that encase it from top to root, tiny balls of light like fireflies buzz and land among the branches. But the leaves part, and a bulbous yellow eye locks upon you. 
the sheen of olive-wrinkled skin can be seen, as ten long fingers tipped with twisted black nails reveal a gruesome elderly face. A hooked nose like a diving crane, the rattling of bones, the sinister cackle of curiosity, as limbs reach out, and it goes from terrible to worse, as you realize there's another on your flank. Shorter, wider, two eyes dotted with red and curled yellow tusks, a cloak of swamp fish on hooks still struggling for freedom, fighting to breathe, like a fisherman's catch. A brightly striped serpent coils through the nostrils and into the mouth, one hand with eight long fingers, one with a curving crescent blade. And the cackling stops, and the voices unite. Wayward child far from home, black of scale and dense of bone, empty vessel seeking might from a land reduced to light. Pulls in magic like the tide, wears the night upon its hide. Good for potions, good for spells. Flesh for supper, soul for hells. Do not run or seek the gate. Let the sisters craft your fate. And you can feel a dark magic starting to take hold of you, washing from inside of you to outside. Please roll me a wisdom saving throw. Okay. With disadvantage. I, yeah, I, w- I was checking. I was checking my exhaustion level. I'm like, do I have disadvantage on wisdom saves yet? I do. Yeah, I think three so. puts you at that. <laughs> That's a uh, natural one. Excellent. <laughs> Your already exhausted frame gives into the magic, and you begin to fall unconscious. But then there's a scream and a strange blue light, and as it washes over you and the hags, they let out a shriek. And the last thing you see before the magical sleep takes you is a figure wrapped in rags, holding a torch of blue fire over their head, shouting, demanding retreat, and the hags recoiling, descending into the marsh, and a soft voice. It's okay. I've got you. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm.
Hello, all you cuties. Welcome to Zack and the League of Ultimate 4 AM. <sighs> I'd say I need coffee, but the only pick-me-up I require is discovering a brand new legendary tier Patreon subscriber. Oh, thank you so much, Krista Perez. Since we have so many of you amazing people giving such a high tier, we've got a brand new legendary team to add to the roster. That roster is the Cultured Cutthroats, the Moonlight Vale, the Tavern Brawlers, and this week's brand new featured team, the Iron Rhapsody, with Eshwin and our newest recruit, Krista Perez. Welcome to the Hall of Legends, and thank you all for your support. Now we just need two more legends to fill this team. You know what to do. In other news, I hope the audio quality on this episode is to your liking. There were some issues with the recording, and the Notorious Tori had to work tirelessly to get it ready, so thank you very much, Tori, for editing this particularly long episode. In other news, we have had a whirlwind of new listeners in the last week, as in nearly doubling our daily listens, which is just breathtaking to me. We definitely owe that to Dark Dice, promoting our show on their amazing podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. Top tier listening. Seriously. Plus, horror D&D podcast with original music. Come on. Come on. For those of you not in the know, I have been hosting a stream of my favorite game, Earthbound, Monday through Thursday from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. If you want to see me play one of the best JRPGs ever made, come on down to twitch.tv slash slapdash streams and hang out with me and the growing collection of nightly viewers. In awesome news, Sam will be home soon, but in the meantime, we have a Chris special coming up next week, and then we will be airing the Little League of Ultimate Questing with me as the DM. Woo! I am terrified of messing this up, and most certainly will, so be sure to tune in for my Dungeon Master debut. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, and whether your state is opening up or still shuttered tight, be cautious and considerate. But enough out of me, let's get you back to the action. My name is Lord Pontleroy Excardius, Master of Renovations, Decoration, and Fashion. Today, we're going to be helping one of the local peasants by apprehending their wagon and giving it one hell of a makeover. Hey! Hey, what are you doing with my wagon? Oh, good sir! We've made it the peak of fashion and respectability. A fresh coat of lavender paint, polished quarter hubs, rich brocade dash, padded leather seats. We've stripped off your nuts and polished your gooseneck, replaced them with silver spinners, rich mahogany, and a dapper dingling bell. We've even installed a functioning tap to pour fresh sparkling wine for your long voyages. You... Realize I use this thing to haul dung from the stables, right? You're welcome! Tune in tonight at 6 for a new episode of Lord Excardius's Primp My Ride on the Nexus Enterprise. When you awaken, you're laying in a makeshift bed on the floor in the corner of a dark hut. There are candles burning on shelves and against the wall, and a small indoor bonfire with a cauldron hanging over it. You have several bandages and strong-smelling udgents all over your body. You didn't realize exactly how beat up you got while you were fleeing. But your body is sore, and a figure with their back to you is pacing. They seem to be wearing a lambskin cloak with fur-lined tall boots, and she seems to be grabbing things from shelves and carefully mixing them into the cauldron. Without revealing that I've woken up already, can I see 
what this figure is adding and try and deduce what they're making. If it's medicinal or... Interesting. I like that very much. Roll me an herbalism check. Okay. I'm reaching for dice again. Not how this works. <laughs> uh, I, am I still exhausted? Mm-mm. Okay. You have just had a full rest. Why? Do I lose one level of exhaustion then? Uh, you're not sure how long you've been unconscious. Okay. I've been unconscious long enough apparently that I'm not exhausted anymore. Right. And perhaps okay. part of it from this magical healing you've received. I'll, I'll accept it. Herbalism. What attribute is that? It's situational. We're calling this one wisdom because you're going to be kind of like sniffing the air and looking okay. carefully. All right. So wisdom herbalism is going to be 15. Very good. At first, you think it's maybe some kind of very mundane potion, perhaps almost like a, something that would boost your vitality. Lots of natural vitamins and things that are very nourishing. Um, and some other components and uh, kale and goji berries. And- <laughs> right, it's <quinoa> and- <laughs> yeah. It's just liquid granola. Yeah. And as this figure is mixing it, um, the door creaks open and a very small creature shuffles in. It seems maybe two, two and a half feet tall, reptilian. Um, and it walks with a little cane underneath its arm. One of its legs seems to be damaged to the point of almost not being worthy of the title of a leg. It's a kobold, and under one hand, it has what looks like a skinned rabbit, and it hands it out to her, and it locks eyes with you, and it seems to be aware that you're, even if still, probably more than unconscious, doesn't make a sign, hands it to her, and she begins to pull off pieces of it as she turns. You see a tall human female as it enters. She says a thanks in a draconic tongue that you understand in nature. Um, It seems linguistically similar to the Jaconic you speak, but much more primitive, almost like a thick accent. And uh, she begins adding pieces of this hair to the stew that she's making. And you realize it's in fact a very, very nourishing soup. Okay. Her skin at first confuses you in that it's almost like a deep blue, uh, but you realize that it's painted on. There's also blue streaked through her hair that keeps it close to her head, almost oiled back, just heavily painted from neck to top of head. And around her eyes and lips is just kind of like a brushing of a gold dust that makes them kind of sparkle. Okay. Well, they've seen that I've woken up, so I'll I'll sit up and kind of inspect the handiwork of the bandages and, and stuff. Is, do they seem like a skilled healer? They don't. Uh, th- there's a, a, a degree of medical expertise put into them, mm-hmm. but some of them almost seem like unnecessary, almost like there's a kind of pageantry to it. Like executing them is doing more than the physical act of bandaging this position. Some of them are perhaps markings. Some of these pieces of gauze and parchment stuck to you are more than just holding in a wound. They're in fact scribed with tiny markings. There's something going on here besides the normal grasp of medical skill that most humans use. Okay. I'll sort of inspect this, um, conspicuously and i'll i'll look at one of these scripts and i'll ask what is this this isn't what tongue is this this is not just medicine i'm glad to see you're feeling better there is old magic in my work you should be feeling at full strength soon especially once you eat the stew i am already feeling much better i owe you my thanks hmm And uh, as the door is left open, as this little cobalt shuffles and you see outside is just dark. You can still smell swamp air, 
but the only thing you can make out is two light sources from outside of this little hut. Um, and they are these blue torches. Every now and then one of them sort of pops and sparkles like a, a piece of flare shoots out of the oil or parchment inside of it. Do I have you to thank for driving off the sisters? Yes, it's ominous that you encountered them and survived, but you made it near my home and I had time to rescue you. The sisters are a blight to this swamp. I have been a thorn in their side for some time. I'm sure they were looking forward to finally removing me. Yes, there are very few who walk away from the sisters. Do you know their names? It's easier for them to find you if you know their names. Do I? You don't. Okay. We are acquainted, but not close. I don't know what their actual names are. Hmm. Perhaps we'll keep it to myself then. Ever since their third went missing, dead no doubt, they've grown quite vicious. They've expanded their territories. They're dealing with regions of the swamp far from here, all the way to the Peel Mire, as of the past few years. She offers you what looks like what was once the bottom of a massive thick gourd, um, filled with this chunky, meaty stew, full of herbs and almost has a medicinal smell to it, like there's anise and lemongrass and things like that in it. Right, yeah, we established kale and goji berries. and (laughs) (laughs) Harithax will go ahead and, and drink it. They know enough about medicine that although normally I don't eat much in the way of vegetation. Mm-hmm. Medicinal herbs are, are not quite the same as, you know, trying to chew on a useless piece of cucumber or something. Certainly. You don't even eat cooked things that often. Yeah, that's true too. You're treating it almost more like a very thick potion. And it feels strange in your stomach. It lingers for a while, but you can tell that there was an emptiness now that's starting to fade away. And she sits down cross-legged behind the fire now that the cauldron's been put away. And just faces you. She's maybe seven feet across the room from you, leaning against one of her many shelves of tiny bottles and vials. I heard that far to the west there were some of your kind. You are much more like the crocodile than I imagined. I'm told it is a gift, a mutation that resembles the form of the more elder of our bloodlines. It is a gift I would happily have to survive in a place like this, but you must be very far from your home. You are days and days away from the Pale Mire. A dark and sorrowful, almost, look crosses Harithax's face, Mm -hmm. and I reply, There was an incident with the community. I am a healer myself, but... They brought me one that was beyond my skill. I rarely deal with the humans for this reason. I tend to help the creatures of the swamp more. Once upon a time, I dealt with them when I was one of them, among them. But, she says, gesturing to this little kobold who's just kind of smacking his lips and slurping on a rabbit leg. Creatures like this get lost in the swamp all the time. It seems cruel to not give them enough strength to make their way out. Like you, your body seems to be recovering well, but there is a weakness and a lack of survival to you. You talk much in your sleep. You wrestle with great powers. I hear their voices through your cries for help. I sense 
There is an emptiness in you that they seek to fill. Do you know of which I speak? I may. I do not know if it was a vision. I was, as you know, wounded. And I had been on the run for days. I am not certain what I have seen is real and what I have seen delusion, hallucination. Hmm. I am not certain, looking out the door to the hut, if this space is even real right now. You should trust your instincts. Someday, the dreams will make more sense. You'll be able to remember them when you awaken more clearly. By what name do you go? I start to open my mouth and I close it again, um, thinking about what she said about the hags. And I say, I am Shadow Scale. Hmm. Your survival instincts are somewhat strong, it would seem. A trade, then. My name is Elcyon, and I, too, am a conduit to powers greater than myself. Tell me, if you will, what do you know of magic? Minor divinations. I can read the future. I, I use the term loosely in things like tea leaves or the livers of animals. I know which plants in the swamps carry their essence, which ones to brew, to mix, to mash, to create effects that hasten the healing of the body. But do you know why you can do these things? I trained with my parents. My mother was a uh, renowned herbalist. My father, an alchemist of some skill. Knowledge, herbalism, and alchemy are indeed magics in their own regard. Knowledge always has been, but there is something greater going on. What you have been taught, they are gestures. They are rituals. They awaken a sleeping intuition in your mind. But if you open yourself to real magic, they will be the truth and not instinct. You see, all across the world, high into the sky and deep into the ocean, there are ley lines of magic. Left behind by the gods, perhaps. Perhaps a net that holds the world together, but they're difficult to find. Some humans study books, ancient teachings, forbidden words, to allow them to see and manipulate them. Others ask the gods to do it for them. Some simply have it in their blood, but others, they open themselves up to powers outside of divinity, outside of mortality, and they build bridges, bridges that we may access the ley lines whenever we wish, instead of struggling and working for years to find a tiny path, a glimpse that might sustain us for a day, or not at all. I have sworn myself to the spirit of the forest, to the ancient language that dictates nature, and I feel that you are on a path that is leading you to one of these powers. I sense them clinging to you, fighting over you, but they keep a distance. Perhaps yours is not to choose. Perhaps... You have already been chosen. The... the creature. The... the white thing. Perhaps you mean that being from my dreams. They would come to you in dreams, yes. Immensely powerful. Perhaps protecting you. Perhaps consuming you. 
Like I said, I find creatures in the swamp, and I return them to their strength so that they may survive when I let them go. And I wish to do this with you. I can teach you about this magic. It is my place here to help those like myself. And in order to survive in the world, outside of that which is your home, you will need them. They are weapons that you were born with, but you cannot access them yet. Will you stay with me? Let me teach you what I have learned. I will. Then, Shadow Scale, get some rest. In the morning, we will build bridges. So we're going to go into a little memory montage. We're going to create a few scenes. Okay. And I would like you to tell me, to start with, what kind of thing would we see Elcyon teaching you? I think the first thing um, that Harithax might learn would be if she'll teach me the script, actually, that's on my bandages. As we as we okay. remove them... Um, she she teaches me what those symbols mean. Hmm. And she will explain that uh, people like us, we write in a language whispered to our ear. These are not words decipherable by others. This is the tongue of something greater than ourselves. These are the teachings, the distant prayers and dreamlike whispers of my patron. On these, I can teach you the rune work. Writing them will be up to you, but I can teach you how to tap into them. And she will go through some meditative processes with you to kind of teach you to relinquish your ego and let yourself be entered. Getting more in touch with the things that try to find their way into you. But also defending yourself against the things you don't want in. When you were training in writing the rune work from the whispered voice, for some reason you could never seem to make it work on parchment. But when you tried to use yourself as the canvas, it came naturally. Okay. Um, in the next scene, the two of you will be outside of the hut, um, kind of patrolling the outskirts of this clearing where the ground is firm enough to land feet without sinking in. And you see there's a perimeter set up of these sparkling silver torches of blue light. And uh, she says... Difficult to concoct, but this flame is burning with silver dust. It keeps the Fae out of this circle. It hurts them. I am not strong enough to defeat the sisters, but I have learned tricks to push them back. And it is a blessing. But there are things that even alchemy cannot protect us from. And with a loud crack, she seems to pull a staff out of nowhere and strike it across your broad back. And you turn to face her, and she throws you one just like it. And as the camera pans out, you can see her teaching you some staff techniques to defend yourself, occasionally opening your mind to allow the magic to flow through them, even learning to open your hands or swinging your staff to manipulate the swarming insects flying in the air around you, like pushing the wind in the right direction. Um, after that scene, um, probably another one where we are outside and visually Harithax looks a bit different now. Um, some of these runes that were on the bandages, um, they've now painted onto their torso in swamp mud or maybe the blue paint that she uses on herself. If that's something that she gives me access to. 
She will teach you many techniques to create pigments that will stay. Okay. Yeah. So Harathax has um, these sort of squiggly lines drawn on themselves that look a bit like um, the channels that woodworms leave in wood when they chew their way through it. I think the next thing that Harathax would be sort of interested in learning would be about this darkness that she keeps sort of hovering over her glade Hmm. and manipulating the shadows and, and bending them around objects. Excellent. When you let her know that you have a curiosity about this, you, without even having to roll insight, can sense a bit of hesitance in her teaching. She says, shadow seems neutral. It doesn't seem like it's good or bad. It's simply an absence of light. But for some reason, the tunnels the mind must travel to control it. They're very difficult to come back from. This is magic that, well, like that the hags use. But I will teach you how to understand it. We will just keep it to a minimum for now. I would wait to teach yourself more until you feel stronger in the skills we learn till then. Joining her actually under the hut, where the shadows are darkest, she will show you how to very carefully, like, mold the shadow. Take tiny pieces and, like, stick it to your skin. Uh, almost treat it like a clay and to get to the point where when you leave shadows, they just follow you for a moment before snapping back into place mm-hmm. like, a, like a rubber. So you've been here for about a week now. Um, she's giving you a lot of crash courses, but you're a strong mind and you have a lot of intuition and potential. So you learn quite a bit and it's nighttime now. And what's normally a beautiful yellow moon that hangs overhead, it's it's almost like a distant, faded, stale piece of cheese. It's just a sickening, boring yellow. Um, and she has prepared a very, very minimally cooked serpent that has been caught in the the swamp for the two of you to eat, as well as this little kobold, which she does eventually introduce as Krim. Uh, he stays out in a shed and is kind of a helper. He's not strong enough to survive in the swamp because of his leg injury, uh, but he's happy to help her move things about, change bedding, fetch water. Small tasks. Okay. You don't see much of him during your training. Okay. Harithax is probably relatively warm towards, you say, Krim? Mm-hmm. Okay. Kobolds and dragons have a long history. It's probably somewhat comforting to see the, the useless little creature around. Yeah. He's definitely several steps down the pecking order from you, but you see aspects of yourself in him from time to time. And she's engaging you in conversation. This happens at night after your lessons. She seems to not get much company and is fairly grateful to have someone to speak with. She doesn't press hard, but she asks a lot of questions. Nothing too personal. And she says to you, I can't even remember how long I've been here. I feel like a few years at least, maybe more. What kind of a place is this to set up a home? I must be out of my mind, but like I said, we are guided by voices. Sometimes my feet move on their own. Something brought me here, and it's been good, helping the weak, bringing them up to strength. It's a harsh world out there, and I'm not talking about the swamp. I don't sense that you've spent much time around humans at all. I did not need them for many things. Sometimes they would bring trinkets or supplies to the hut when they had 
requests when they wished someone healed or a potion for bewitching a lover. I, I, roll, I roll my eyes at that. I did not seek them out. They sought me when they thought that they needed me and were quick to drive me away when they became convinced they did not. Living here as you do in this swamp, you will never become more than a crumb bouncing around in the bottom of a satchel. It's time to upturn it, see what's out there, and a time will come when you do need humans. And creatures like you, people like me, they will need us too. I believe that's the only reason they will accept us, is out of a need for what we are. Our ability to do things that they can't, see things that they aren't. They're very selfish, but they have value. Now she'll slowly kind of eat at the snake like she's uh, thinking back on some conflicting memories. Okay. Um, you said that it's it's mostly uncooked still? Yes. It's basically cut. This is a snake sushi. Okay. Yeah, Harithax will um, will kind of idly, not, not even really thinking about it, um, pull the snake's liver mm-hmm. and look for omens in the flesh of this creature's uh, entrails. I love that. Okay. Um, so you find the liver quite easily. You've gutted many serpents. It's very long. And with great reverence, you place it into your mouth. And you can sense this snake has been alive for a very long time. You can see through its eyes as it was in the, the mire hunting, slithering through trees, gliding down branches and pushing its nose through the thick muck. And you see it circling the perimeter of the hut. You see the blue torches. You're not sure if this is what it saw before or something happening now. But the night seems to get darker. And all at once the blue torches go out. And the air grows cold. And the fireplace is extinguished. And Elcyon's eyes go wide. And she says, How long have I been here? It's time for you to go, standing up and grabbing her quarterstaff. And uh, the night grows very quiet. She seems to be gathering things together, throwing them into a messenger bag, like getting ready for you to leave with great haste. Um, as she's as she's handing as she's trying to hand me things, um, I will get into what few possessions I fled my hut with, mm-hmm. and I take out a little satchel. Okay, um, it's just a little a little leather pouch. I know our time is short, but I have a gift for you. She looks to you in terror. You have taught me much, and I cannot repay you, but take these. And I um, upend the bag into one of my hands, and there's a number of seeds in it. Um, And I say, I was not able to save the herbs my parents had cultivated for so long, but these seeds are from my world, Selvarax. And she is locking eyes with you, like moving her lips without saying anything, and her hand almost instinctively like reaches out shaking and as you drop the seeds into her palm the door doesn't blow open the door is torn outward like a tornado ripping it into the swamp and the wind blows the seeds all over the floor of the cottage and you hear these voices weaving in the wind blowing into the house 
Little witch out in the bog, hides in home of mud and log, carries fire bright and blue, but the cycle must renew. Five years and a day was the deal we struck, five years and a day to test your luck. You wished to live as humans do, to understand their point of view. Your heart grew warm and eyes grew wide, but time has come to flip the side. The patch has ended, ancient word. Return to us, O oh sister third. I'd like you to roll initiative. Oh, shit. As the windows of the hut blow open. So as she looks down at the seeds that fell to the ground and hears the sound weave in, you see her convulse and lurch over and says, No, I I forgot. How long has it been? How long have I been here? And as she looks up to you pleadingly, one of her eyes begins to grow bulbous and aquamarine with a slit for a pupil. And her teeth begin to twist. She says, Arathax, I'm so sorry. I didn't know the night had come. And as the windows burst open, the sound of buzzing insects begins to pour in, but not swarms of tiny ones, large ones, the size of bats, black as night with red, glistening, bulbous bellies. And you recognize these creatures as sturges. Uh, so that's going to be it for what we will call the enemy's turn. Um, Krim reaches out for just some vegetable cutting knife off the table and hides against the stone of this fireplace, uh, panic setting in, dropping his crutch. That'll make it your turn. Okay. Things, um, things are as you see. All right. Harithax is going to... I'll probably just ready an action to to hit one with a quarterstaff when it gets close. That sounds good. That will bring us back to the full line of initiative of the enemies. Um, and the Sturges are going to move in. All right. Um, so there's going to be three coming in at you. Okay. Does one of them go for Krim? Or uh, two of them go for Krim. Okay. I'm going to take my readied action to attack one of the ones that goes for Krim. Okay. We'll do that first because you had it held. Okay. All right. That's 20 total. That should hit. You definitely hit. All right. And re roll me your damage. All right. So that's six damage to whatever Sturge is going for him. So this massive bat-sized insect explodes like a sanguine water balloon. Um, whatever it last fed on, spilling out onto your chest and onto the floor around you. Um, so then I gain, if that if that's active, then I gain temporary HP for killing that Sturge. And it's the first time that it's active. Something about these markings that you've put on your belly seem to draw in the life force of this creature that you've slaughtered, something weaker than you that you've taken the life from, protecting yourself. Only one will be attacking Krim, and it misses. And the three on you, uh, that is one hit and two misses, it looks like. That is, in fact, a ten. So you take four piercing damage as this one buries its stinger deep into your shoulder. All right, that, that eats... And it just kind of locks into place. Straight through my temporary HP. Very good. Um, she shouts out into the night and says, Stay back! They're not for you! And the hags just sort of drift closer, and she lurches over again, and her hair becomes longer and more vine-like. And Krim explodes the Sturge, because they have three hip points. Nice. Get wrecked. 
All right. So yeah, he successfully strikes one down and it's like stuck on the edge of his knife and still kind of writhing its insectoid legs as he looks down at it, almost confused. Um, and that will bring it fully to Herothax's turn. Okay. Um, acid breath. The uh, three Sturges. All right. Uh, very good. So they're going to make... Is this con saves it is for a, acid? Um, it's based on my constitution, but it's a dexterity save for the Sturge. It is dex for yours? Okay. Yeah. Um, the lowest is a 12. Okay. Uh, 12 is the save DC. So they all pass... It is 2d6. So, okay. That's actually a little better than I thought that it was. There's a chance that this will kill them anyway. Especially if you roll a four. <laughs> roll 20. That's enough. They have two hit points each. Oh, I thought they had three hit points. Okay, good. So despite the fact that they all duck out of the way, just the proximity to your horrible acidic emulsions um, destroy them they've they've their legs melt away mid-air their wings fall into just a insectoid gravy and there's a large splatter of corroding acid kind of eating away at the floorboards in a straight line away from you okay good i've created an escape route <laughs> all right um so that'll bring it to the enemy's turn and you can see the cackling and the chanting getting louder as these hags get closer to the front of the hut at this point she's now standing out on the edge of it she calls out to the night. Margie Dogtooth! Anessa Wistmother! Can't you see I'm not your sister anymore? And they respond. Morla, Morla. Come back to the darkness. Drink your dreams in the shadows of our coven. Leave this madness behind. And she shakes her head grabbing her face with her clawed hand, and she turns to you, and she says, The fireplace, there's an exit. Go now. And Krim hears this and uses his turn to slam down this lever um, that opens up a trap door behind the logs and just kind of dives in headfirst. And those two remaining Sturges are going to do a bite bite at you with their hooky noses. Okay. Bring it, hooky noses. That's one. Two hits. That's two hits. I got temporary HP from downing one of them. That's not great. That's max damage for eight on 2d4. Okay, they don't add anything? Nope, they add nothing. Okay, okay. That that could have been worse. All right. Uh, thank God for temporary HP, though. That, that, definitely. <laughs> that's all definitely. I have to say. Um, Harthax is going to start moving for the fireplace. Um, just tendrils of black, shadowy energy lash out from me. Shroud this room in darkness, and I cast Arms of Hadar. Ooh. Which I don't believe these Sturges can survive. <laughs> no. And as you're running out of the room, even in the darkness, you are caught up in the fight. But you notice in your retreat that the hut itself was starting to change. The ground started to become almost like slimy. It had a layer of mucus on it. Uh, the walls seem to kind of undulate as you pass through them. The the trap door almost like had pressure as it pushed you out like some sort of architectural sphincter. <laughs> and as you push out of the back, you see where once there was long support beams that held it aloft out of the swamp. There are these large kicking frog's legs. Um, and as you run further... Keeping pace with Krim, 
getting away from this place, hearing the cackling. Now what was once two voices is three echoing through the night. The hut begins to crack and shift into this horrible, massive frog with a snail's shell on its back. Much larger than the hut was as a building. And you make it out of the bog and into the tree line. And you're not sure how long you and Krim run, but you never look back. And as you make your way out of the bog, he wishes you farewell and good luck. But this is his home, and he will remain here and keep eyes on your mutual friend, but keep his distance. As Krim and I part ways, I put my hand on its tiny shoulder. I give him one of my two daggers, and I say, Take this. You may need it. It'll serve you better than that kitchen knife. After I hand Krim the dagger, I take a bit of the blue mud that Elcyon taught me to make, and I draw a draconic symbol on Krim. And I tell him, Go with the graces of our people. You are a friend to the dragons. And I cast Bless. It's very ritualistic and cinematic, and I'm, I'm anointing this little kobold with my approval. And he doesn't speak much at all, but he gives you a very sincere bow and says, We'll meet again. I hope so. And as you leave the swamp, you begin onto your first steps of the long journey to a new world. But on the way, you witness something. Leaving the forest, there in the distance are the Lodestone Mountains, and you're now in a lush field with boulders and forests far off. But as you see, you see a... a, But on this trail, you see a creature, a small axe beak, a predatory flightless bird with massive weapon-like beak pecking at the corpse of a dead wolf. And near that, there's the corpse of a larger dead axe beak with thick gray feathers. The young one is covered with bites and serious injuries. It seems like the two of them were entangled with the wolf, and the axe beaks came out, the superior creature, but at the cost of the mother's life. And now it's broken, dying, and alone. And it cries out towards the trees, a desperate cry for help. Beady eyes peer out from the overcast forest. And a family of much larger brown axe beaks cautiously step out to survey the scene. And it calls to them from a distance. They're cautious. It approaches them slowly, blood still on its beak. They snap at it, and they stamp their huge feet. And it stops, and it cries again. And they seem to look at each other, and to the bodies before them. The largest of them moves slowly, cautiously towards the weak-dying youth. It raises its head up high as it gets closer, beak ready to strike. But then it lets out a deeper cry. A cry to silence the youngster's wailing. Its large, clawed foot examines the child. It leans in close, sniffing, brushing at wounds with its weapon-like beak, and then it turns back to the family, and they slowly follow it back into the forest. And the youngster follows, at a distance. It seems it's found a new family. It's found its new strength in numbers, and it will survive. (laughs) 
And with that, we will end this special one-shot episode. We're going to do an outro real quick. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Uh, my name is Michael Loving. I play Harithax on the League of Ultimate Questing. Um, I also play Arunivar, the God of Blood, on God's Fall. You can find me at OG underscore Captain underscore Mel on Twitter. Um, and that's that's probably about it. You you are most likely most familiar with me from this podcast already. <laughs> so you know who I am. Seems likely at this point. Um, yeah, we did this yeah. last time with Zach. And we're like, oh, yeah, we have to do an outro with two people. Isn't that fun? Uh, so I'll just kind of blow through the, the checkpoints here real quick. Um, Thanks for joining us for this episode <laughs> of the League of Ultimate Questing. New episodes go live every Monday, noonish, um, wherever podcasts are available. You can listen to all of our backlog on uh, the LUQ.com. Uh, as well as find links to our social media, Discord, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, all of the episodes to date are listenable on there. There are links to buy T-shirts. Um, There's also a new link to our when, uh, Twitch account. We've been doing a lot of Twitching since the world is somewhat in lockdown. Yep. Um, yep. As well as our Discord. You've been playing. We have a lot of very active fans joining our Discord. Our numbers have been going up a lot recently, so please join us on there. Shout out to any listeners who have picked up the show from the Dark Dice podcast or who have migrated over here from hearing me on God's Fall. Um, there was another thing I was going to say, and it was. Nope, I got it. <laughs> That's OK. Gone. I don't remember. No, you're great. Uh, I, I was going to do it anyway, but thank you for doing it. That sounded great. That's the stuff I remember from the from the outro. Oh, no, sheet. it's good work. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember. Well, please carry on. I was going to say. Uh, undoubtedly, our social media will also cover uh, what, if any, public appearances we'll be making uh, once the quarantine lifts and we are allowed to. Yes. Um, in the interim, we're recording one-on-ones remotely. That's uh, to answer for any kind of audio differences you hear between this and our normal stuff. Um, it's some fun focus on each character. I think it'll be kind of a nice treat for those involved in the story. And soon we'll be doing a different project uh, where Zach will be DMing. We're looking forward to that. So LUQ is still going to keep coming out. We're just waiting a little bit to get back to our regular format. Um, once again, it'd be great if you visited the LUQ. Share it with your friends. We are finding an increase in numbers right now. We've been moving very frequently around the top 50 U.S. gaming podcasts. Many days staying in the top 20, which is very exciting. If we can keep that momentum, that would mean the world to us. And it will take us to the next level and give us more time and availability to make more content for all of you. So thank you for listening. We'd love to chat with you on Discord. But until next time, we wish you luck. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My gran says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready, for a great evil is coming, and death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a Storyglass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts.